what I look for within my coaching practice is patterns. I look for patterns of typical threads of conversation or thought or concerns that a lot of my women clients are bringing up. I notice them. So when five or 10 or 15 women tell me that they're brushing up with issues around boundaries, I begin to pay attention to that. And then I start to do some research there. I research by asking them questions, but I also go out into the world and do my own research, reading books, taking courses, learning about what information around this topic already exists out in the world. And then I start to create a process. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Well, welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. It's your gal Carly over here. If you've been tuning in this month, then you already know that we are dedicating a few episodes to beginning something new. Whether that's you beginning a new project, a new goal you want to live into, maybe a new relationship with yourself or with somebody else. Maybe you're thinking about a move, a new home, or a new focus on your health. Any time of year is a good time to be talking about beginning something new, but I especially enjoy that this time of year where we're at a change of seasons. Now, we all have our own unique style of creating something new. And knowing our individual process for beginning makes the world of difference. A friend was sharing with me recently that when he was a young lawyer, his beginning of something new always began with a serious anxiety attack. So it would look like him getting an assignment from some senior lawyer within the practice, him having no idea how he was supposed to execute that idea, going back to his office, shutting the door, and just flipping out for about 30 minutes, pacing, panicking, being convinced he was going to lose his job or be shown for how ill-prepared he really was. And then as that initial panic subsided, he could begin to get focused. Okay, where might I go to find the information I need about how to follow through on this? And he would begin. And now, gosh, probably four decades into his practice, He's learned that that was just part of his process. That anxiety attack wasn't because he wasn't capable of doing it. It was just the way his body processed the beginning of something new. And this whole anxiety or panic sensation is not unusual when it comes to beginning. In fact, I have a client who does a very similar thing. Each time he launches something new, he has about two to three days of just sheer panic. He gets really excited about the idea, and then he reaches out to me and goes, Carly, I'm doing my panic thing. (laughs) He starts to explain all the reasons why he's convinced it won't work out. We're both able to kind of laugh about it now. We see it crop up, and we can watch it with a little bit more objectivity, knowing probably after three days, again, his nervous system will have calmed and will just map out the next steps, and it'll work out just fine, if not great. It usually does work out great. So I don't know if you're similar to me, but I really do learn well from examples. And hearing these kind of candid examples, one from a friend, one from a client, it just puts me at ease and reminds me that we each have our own process here. I like to know from other people what does and doesn't work. So while it's all super fresh, 
I thought I could share behind the scenes of the most recent professional program I began, the product I've brought to the world most recently, so that you can hear both from me and from some of the participants in the program what worked, what didn't, and where we're going to go from here. This is going to be the most detailed peek behind the scenes of how my company runs that I have ever shared. And oh my gosh, is it going to be good? (laughs) Here's what we're about to cover. Number one, I'm going to share the behind the scenes of what I playfully call our shampoo cycle of creating. This is how we create new things, how we begin new beginnings. Then we're going to go over some of the nuts and bolts of the system of bringing something new into the world that we use. This is where I get super pragmatic. Then I'm going to share with you what worked, what went well that we might do again, and then what we learned from listening to our clients, from just being present and not needing to always be the boss with the master genius plan. And then, of course, wouldn't be an episode of Messy Magnificent if I didn't share some of the curveballs that happened. These were some of the things that came my way during this launch that I did not see coming and how we addressed them. And then we'll wrap up with two sweet things. Number one, what we might do differently. As you've heard everything we've learned so far, I want you to hear what we might change up for the next round. And then, of course, there's going to be some pleasant surprises that way pepper here throughout the way. So... Before we jump into that, let's pause and give a shout out here. Today, the shout out is going to Maria Serwa, Ellen Casey Boyd, Rafaela Kramer, and all those involved in the What to Remember series. Now, the What to Remember series is the brain and heart child of Maria Serwa, a dear friend of mine. You're actually going to hear her voice in today's episode because she wanted to create a generous offering of the many years of hard-won wisdom and experience she has had as a thought leader in the field of resiliency and positive psychology. And she's distilled down some of the greatest learning she's had in the territory of resilience and hope and collaboration towards the best of what is possible for us as individuals and as a global community. And so last year, each week for about nine weeks, she released this short video of one of her written works with some personal explanation about how we can live into our best during tough times. And it was a beautiful beginning. It went even more beautifully than we could have imagined. In fact, it went so well that I'm getting to support Maria. She comes back again with another nine installments for a total of 18. This is an entirely free, incredibly generous offering Talk about beginning something and not knowing where it's going to lead. This is a great example of that. So feel free to get free access to this super inspiring series over at mariasurwaprograms.com. You can Google that or I'm going to put a link to it right here in the show notes. I highly recommend it's like having a piece of wisdom delivered to your inbox every weekend for nine weeks. It's amazing. So now I get to take you behind the scenes of what was a very public launch of our latest offering, the Boundary Academy. Now, in a little bit, I'll give you some background on what that is. In case you're new to the show, you might have never heard of it before. But first, I want to actually give you a sense of what it was like before I even knew what it was in the very beginning of the beginning of this new offering. Now, I use what I playfully refer to as a shampoo cycle in my practice, meaning it's kind of a rinse and repeat model. So what I look for within my coaching practice is patterns. I look for patterns of typical threads of conversation or thought or concerns that a lot of my women clients are bringing up. I notice them. 
So when five or 10 or 15 women tell me that they're brushing up with issues around boundaries, I begin to pay attention to that. And then I start to do some research there. I research by asking them questions, but I also go out into the world and do my own research, reading books, taking courses, learning about what information around this topic already exists out in the world. And then I start to create a process. I notice, okay, if boundaries are tricky, where do we begin? And I might begin to hatch an idea for one technique that my clients can use based on what I've seen work before. So we give that a try and then I pause and I culminate on the results. I look at, okay, what went well here that we might apply again? What areas are there still holes where I might need more information or more research? And I start to look for, again, the patterns around what's working. What new patterns are emerging now that we brought in additional information? And then create a new process, try it, pause, culminate, look at the results, look for the new patterns, and so on and so forth. So you're noticing that there's a system here. It's just like a like the shampoo bottle says, even though I never do it. We rinse and repeat, right? We go again and again and again. So the creation of something significant, in this case, a course that we're bringing publicly to the world, it did not happen overnight. It took many years of being really intentional. Now, not every beginning takes many years, but I thought I would give you an example of one that does. Because I think it's so common that we see the visibility story, we hear about the wild successes, but we don't always understand that even what appears to be an overnight success, like the Boundary Academy really took off from the moment we went public. It was like a 15-year overnight success. (laughs) Like when we went public, it did well, but it was years in the making prior to that. And so as we pause and culminate, we just finished a cycle of that now that we brought it to the world and had our first public class go through it. And you're going to get to hear in today's episode some of the clips from the actual culmination conversations that I had with the team that helped me bring this into the world. So number one behind the scenes of this public launch is this shampoo cycle. Noticing a pattern, researching it, creating a process or an idea, trying it, and then pausing, culminating, look at what wisdom we've gathered, and then beginning again. Now here's some of the nuts and bolts of the system of actually bringing something new into the world that I use on a regular basis. I reverse engineer almost everything. Some people call this an answers first model. So what we want to do is we want to look at what is the end goal here? In this case, what is the Boundary Academy? And after many years of doing the shampoo, rinse and repeat cycle, I knew that the Boundary Academy needed to have two components. It needed to have the tools and information taught in a structured classroom format, and it needed to have ongoing community support. Because living into boundaries is, in a healthy way anyway, is not something most of us have seen modeled. And so information alone, we realized through lots of practice, was not enough. We needed both. So once I knew what the Boundary Academy was, it was this two-component program, course material and the community. Then all I had to do was pick the date I was going to bring this into the world. So I worked in reverse here. I figured out, okay, if the end goal here was to start a new class of the Boundary Academy on March 1st, then the thing that would have to be true just before that was that registration would have to close the last week in February, right? So if we're going to start a course on March 1st, well, then everybody has to already have signed up, right? So that was the first thing we put on the calendar was registration has to close the last week of February. 
Now, in order for that to be true, and in order for that to be the next answer, well, then just before that, registration closing, registration would have to open, right? <laughs> We'd have to actually let people in to register. And this was going to have to happen in that third week in February. And in order for people to be able to register, well, there would need to be a web page for people to go and register. And so that would need to be completed the first week in February, which means somebody would have to start building that page in January. And as you can see, we begin to reverse engineer this whole process. We knew what the end goal was. The theory we were testing to see if we could make it true was that we would have a class of women on March 1st. And then we worked in reverse filling in what would need to happen in order for that to be true. Now, what's really nice about this system is that in addition to making sure all the nuts and bolts are laid out in order, there's also this reality check thing happening. And this caused dates and ideas to shift on a regular basis for us, where I might say, well, if we want a thousand women to be in the first cast of the Boundary Academy, this is much work would have to go into making that true. And that, frankly, was more than we were really going to commit to right now. But if we wanted a cozy cohort of women, well, then less was required and that was a lot more doable. So this is what helped us create the goals and then make sure right out of the gate that we're actually going to live into them. This is what makes follow through so much more possible for us anyway. So all right, you've heard about our shampoo cycle and how that works and some of the nuts and bolts of reverse engineering it. Now, why don't I share three things that worked? When we launched the Boundary Academy, number one, we had 34 women in there from five different decades of life experience. So from their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And they were also from five different countries, including Italy, Romania, Switzerland, Australia, and all across the United States. When we would do the live classes for that first month of giving all the information and tools, Another thing that worked was we had a 90% live attendance rate, which we were shocked by. We had no expectation of that. So this told us again, it was reaffirming that women really want to talk about boundaries. They are engaged and want to show up for the conversation. And then the third thing that worked that I'm going to share with you was hiring a head of school. In this case, specifically Dana LeMay. I knew as we were reverse engineering this process, that when I saw the amount of work that was going to need to go into it for the first time ever, I could not be the person doing all that nuts and bolts work. There was no way that I could show up for our current private individual and corporate clients in the way that I'm accustomed to as being fully present while launching this new thing. And so it meant I had to do the scary but appropriate thing of investing in a proper head of school. Now, I want you to hear this clip from Dana LeMay as she reads some of the surveys from the students who took the Boundary Academy and what they said worked. Dana, you want to share anything that stood out to you on some of the feedback forms in terms of what these women are, are sharing, their own experience? Yes, I do. Um, so we asked them similar questions to what we, we all filled out after our calls, things like... Um, nuts and bolts. Was there anything we should change? Um, one of them was a light bulb moment, um, which I really liked uh, the answers to this. So light bulb moment, what was one pleasant surprise or moment of delight that you may not have expected that stands out? And repeatedly, um, we heard comments about the embraced sense of community 
the willingness to share the, like I have goosebumps just looking at these, the depth of sharing written and verbal, emotional intelligence, humor of all participants, um, the nodding heads as we acknowledge our connection. The vulnerability I felt within the group, it's amazing how easily you can allow yourself to feel vulnerable in front of unknown people that you know won't judge. Um, one of the questions was, one co- what's one concept you don't want to forget? Uh, I am not toothpaste or a commodity. I am enough. Let it stand and stop talking. Uh, drop the apologies. I am not the problem. I mean, this is all such good stuff. <laughs> Um, And then the golden nugget, what's one boundary win that happened so far? Um, Practicing with joy, not fear. Consciously inviting boundaries into my life. Um, This one is paraphrasing about not being so worried about disappointing someone else. Um, So they were really, really sweet. Um, yeah, and there was, there was great feedback about the council. Um, oh, the Embrace Sense of Community and how Carly and the council members mastered the art of gathering and inclusion. Yay! That feels like a real win. That was a goosebump moment. <laughs> So listening to our clients, to our students, is an incredibly important part of the way we've grown our practice. From day one, it's the listening that gave us the ideas. And then continuing to listen is what helps us fine-tune those ideas and make sure we're offering something that gets people results. So as we began to listen to the students within the Live Boundary Academy program, we noticed that there was one very specific thing that was coming up in every single module of that month of March. And it was this big fear about how other people would respond to them setting a boundary. It was downright palpable sometimes, this worry, this concern, this doubt that we as women, so many of us have, and it was a really tender thing to hold. So for myself, having done this work for a while, I can forget how tender that initial step can be, right? Anytime we're doing something new and it's unfamiliar and we know that addressing something as tender as the emotional response to fear, worry, doubt, concern can't just come from information alone. Hearing don't worry or it's going to be okay, our brain might understand that, but our nervous system may not. It needs to be modeled right? We need for these women to get to experience what happens when they speak up and they use their voice. And what if people don't get upset? Or even if they do get upset, could they be okay with that? And so here's a quote from Maria Sirwa as she was culminating with us on our Council of Boundary members about what she noticed about the fear or the worry or concern that women often express when it's time to begin setting boundaries for the first time or in a significant place. Two things. I felt like the chance to go through it a second time sort of kept boundary top of mind in my own life. So I felt like I got better and stronger with boundaries. Um, So thank you for that. But also I was noting, and I think Sabrina, this is maybe a thread of one of the things you were talking about, how much emotion there was, especially for the younger people around fear of rejection or fear, 
like how uh, what other people would think of them, which I felt like as a council, because we've wrestled with boundaries for a certain amount of time, that that initial fear is quieter, or maybe we have we have bigger perspective on it. Where so it was fascinating to be in the presence of that level of pain again around, oh, I'm terrified of how people will see me. Um, so that felt absolutely essential as a, a community to support that. Now I get to share with you the curveballs. <laughs> like any good project, there was plenty of them. So I had to whittle it down for time's sake and just pick three. And I'm going to share one curveball that happened before we went public. One curveball that happened smack dab in the middle of our launch, and then one curveball that happened during the end of the course. All of these were equally important. This episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy. 15 years of coaching thousands of women has taught me that it doesn't matter how good our plans, our intentions are, our network, or even our access to external resources. If we don't have the boundaries we need to honor what we care about, we will always struggle with a lack of time or energy or money or downright satisfaction. You see, women who have thriving, healthy careers and relationships know that boundaries aren't just something nice you get to later. There's something you practice gently now so that you have the later that you want. So you can get free access to the recording of the Boundaries Brunch we did right before the Boundary Academy opened. There's a link to it in the show notes wherever you're listening or head on over to carlyfane.com. And in this 45-minute class, you're going to learn the three mindsets that women with healthy boundaries already know and live into, plus lots of rich, candid conversation with thought leaders in the field of boundaries and women who are just getting started. There's nothing for sale in there. Just rich content you're not going to get anywhere else. Because that hunch you're meant to be doing something meaningful and enjoyable with your life and career, it's right. I hope you'll join me and women from around the world that are making having boundaries oh so doable. So curveball number one, before we launched publicly the Boundary Academy, our intention had been to do a small beta group on our new software platform just to make sure that we worked out all the kinks. And so we planned a little launch sequence for that. And the week we filmed all of the content for what we thought would be a pre-recorded Boundary Academy was the week sandwiched in between the sudden passing and funeral of my uncle between riots happening outside of the recording studio in response to the police murdering Walter Wallace Jr. in Philadelphia. There's also early voting trying to happen for a particularly heated election in the United States and not to mention COVID. So when I went back to look at the footage we recorded this week, frankly, I couldn't stand it. It fell entirely flat. I was not my normal, alive, engaged, passionate self It was way too serious and way too heavy because, frankly, that's how that week was. And so we'd realized we were going to have to try something a little different. And rather than doing a public launch of the material, we paused and reflected around the idea that we have a really great community of women that we've had the opportunity to work and connect with for years. And we decided to create a council of boundary makers And the idea was that we would reach out to 14 women that we really admired from all different walks of life, from all over, 
to see if any of them would be willing to try the course material first and then tell us what they thought about it, and then be there to welcome the new class so that they could help support them having just experienced the upgrade in their boundaries recently and be particularly relatable to the new class. It turns out that all 14 women said yes, which is a double curveball I didn't see coming. So here you're about to hear Meredith Brisson share some of the surprises that happened for her being on the Council of Boundary Makers as she got to witness the new class taking it for the first time. So having already gone through the material herself, this is what she noticed was now true. Two things come to mind. One is just, I noticed my sense of agency getting so much stronger that, I mean, part of it, similar to what Maria said, like I felt my muscle building um, and it was so primed in my brain to pick up on moments of being able to just even think about what boundary things were in effect and then what's a way that I might be able to act here. And the more I did that, that positive cycle of watching myself do the thing that was hard, it really began to give me like a little bit of a a high of like, oh, yes, I did the thing. And it feels really good to do it, even when it's uncomfortable. Like there was just this it's still like it, it, there's an energy behind it now that has shifted from push it away to like, bring it on. I'm, I'm ready to do this. So, I mean, can we just pause and celebrate how cool this is? This total curveball where I spent all this money on creating a safe stage, renting a place, making sure everybody had masks on and we had the minimum amount of people there to record all this footage and then having to scrap all the footage. <laughs> And being super disappointed, but then realizing that there was another way opening up that panned out far better than we could have imagined. This to me is why it's so important to be malleable and a little bit flexible with our plans. So speaking of that, here's the mid-launch curveball that happened. We realized that though we planned to record this content in advance so that it would be pre-recorded and people could do it anytime they wanted, that it had to be done live. After taking the Council of Boundary Members through this work, we realized that we needed to be able to speak in a really timely manner. With so many global shifts happening and the need for human connection being extra important right now, and particularly around tender topics like upgrading boundaries, Meredith here, who you just heard, went on to explain how varied her own experience of leaning into her boundaries was from week to week. And this is what helped us know that even though it would be convenient to record it in advance, the best version of this product would be done live. And here's one reason why. And the other piece that I was really aware of throughout the last couple of weeks is the way as my as my understanding deepened. Um, I think of it like peeling back the layers of the onion. My emotion changed over the weeks. Um, Again, like I think it probably started as more anxiety. And then I got like the anger. And then I got some sadness and grief. And, and because of the work I've done over the years, I saw that again, as like a positive, like I could see that as, ooh, this means I'm getting somewhere. My, my beliefs are shifting. And when my beliefs shift, my emotions are going to change that are related to it. 
So it was really interesting to watch myself in that process. So there was two curveballs, right? Before the course and then mid-launch, you heard the second curveball when we realized it needed to be live. Here's the one that happened right in the middle of bringing the course live to our actual first class of Boundary Makers. We realized that each class is really going to have its own personality, its own questions, its own curiosity, and its own circumstances. So it was very different to bring this content to the Council of Boundary Makers versus to our first class, because of course, these are different women. And in this particular class, there was a lot of interest in conversation around gender bias in the workplace and in relationships and in setting boundaries, that there aren't equal or similar expectations for people, that it really depends on what your gender identity is or the way other people decide your gender identity is in terms of what is deemed appropriate or not appropriate socially for setting boundaries. And a lot of women were commenting that folks who are identified as male are treated very differently in the workplace and around the boundaries that set. One woman in the class, for example, shared that without kids, she was expected to always pick up the extra shifts at work. It was just assumed. Whereas this doesn't happen to men or to the women that work for her organization that do have kids. So there's going to be such significant differences the different types of people that are there. And yet we're looking to create a framework that still serves everybody. And this is where Charlene Raymond, another woman on our Council of Boundary Makers during our culmination process, really gave some great insight into what's working and how we can tend to these kinds of curveballs. The thing that really hit me too is that it works. Like this system Carly, that you've put together, it works, right? So it, it keeps working for all of us as we practice it and get better and get more confident. And it works for people that are, are new. And, and it's simple. It's not like, oh, the 12 steps to boundary. It's like, it's pretty simple, right? And so that is, to me, to see that is really cool. Like nobody said, I tried this and step three does not work for me, right? N- nobody says that. Or like, I, what? Throw a flag. I'm not doing that. Like everybody's just like, yeah, and I can do it. And I, and, and Tamaris, but like the more I do it, I get better at it and I feel good. And look, all these other women, like some of them, you know, we, we're not all the same. Like we're not all from corporate. We're not all yoga teachers. We're not all whatever. And it's working for all of us. And like, that makes me want to cry. Like, that's really cool. Right. That we, Like we're all in this because we want to do it and we're all really different and we're all really the same. And I love that. I love that. So now that we've experienced one full run through the Boundary Academy and its main course content, it's time for us to start looking at what might we do differently? We are not ever (laughs) expecting ourselves to have fully mastered any one thing. And so when I say differently, I'm talking about two types of different. One is what might we do differently than we're currently doing? So where is there something that might need to be modified or updated or stopped being done altogether? And then the other type of different is what are we already doing different, perhaps than other people in our industry or than we've ever seen modeled before? And how might we continue to turn the flame up on that because it's working? Now, some of these are external, as in they would be publicly visible differences out in the world. And some of these are internal, meaning only folks who are behind the scenes in the program itself would know them. 
So let me share one of each. Here's something that we are going to try differently, and it's going to be external. We are going to host more of what we're calling boundary brunches. So we hosted one boundary brunch in preparation for this launch. It was a free 45-minute event where I shared with women some of the highlights of what's working for women in the territory of boundaries. And we gave about a two or three-day heads up on that, and we had 100 women sign up to be in that conversation in just two or three days. It went glowingly well, and then a few of those women who attended live signed up for the ongoing course because they got a lot out of it. So this time, knowing that one went well, we realized we'll just do more of those, right? We're going to do at least five of them in this upcoming launch. So when we bring a new class in in June, we'll do at least five boundary brunches because regardless of whether or not women actually sign up to work with us, and we hope they do, we also know that being part of this conversation will have a ripple out effect that might cause the women who attend to have more conversations about boundaries with those they love and care about. And in that way, there's still improvement happening in the language of boundaries, whether or not folks ever become our clients or not. So hey, if you're listening and you have an audience of 20 or more women and want to have me host a boundary brunch with you, I would love that. Send an email to Dana, that's D-A-N-A at everybodythrive.com and we'll set that up. And I'll put a link to Dana's email here in the show notes too, if you want to host a boundary brunch. I'd love to hang out with you and your gals. Now that's external. Here's an internal thing that we're going to keep doing differently. What we were aware of, and you've heard me mention a few times already, is that we can't just give tools. We have to provide the space to create each woman's confidence so that she can apply the tools she's learning around boundaries. And so we want to cultivate even more spaces for women who feel tentative speaking up. We want to make sure that their voice is heard And that they get to see how in a healthy environment, their voice and their experience and their insights, they're not just welcomed, they're not just heard, but they're cherished, they're appreciated, they're celebrated. And here you're going to hear Susie Banksbaum, another woman on our Council of Boundary Makers that we have had here on the show. I'll put a link to Susie's episode in the show notes, share how there hasn't been a legacy of feeling heard for women and something that we might do about that. The importance of feeling connection and heard in that we may, given that we are on the council, have some experience with articulating boundaries, but there's not a legacy of this habit in my life. And so for me to be on LinkedIn and, and, um, in another community I'm in, what we call when we comment is upriding instead of downriding someone, you upride someone. And so for me, that's kind of what I see that function of commenting on is praising them, recognizing, affirming what they've done, but also drawing my humanity up alongside them so that they don't feel like I'm speaking to them as an expert or anything other than a fellow boundary explorer or what, you know, or whatever we are. Um, and it, I think it's important for us. It's important for me in a group to feel like I can be as vulnerable as those 20 year old women who are struggling, you know, to, to even speak. Um, and I think that may be, you know, maybe a quality of going forward may be, 
you know, a council member moment of, you know, of, of experience with a boundary. Cause we've all experienced boundaries that sucked. It didn't work that blew up in our faces that broke down relationships, you know, and then we, then we, you know, and then it changed. And, and it's, I mean, I certainly don't think that I, you know, I'm like a pro at this now, God, no, uh, I'm just more accurate at recognizing when it's needed and when it's somehow, you know, funky. Now, there is no such thing as bringing something new into the world and not having some surprises happen along the way. I've shared some of the curveballs. Here's one very specific, pleasant surprise that I want to share with you. And this person, Maria Serwa, you're going to hear her voice again. She was able to share this so candidly because we have known each other in a close way as friends and colleagues and collaborators for so many years that she can talk to me like only a good friend can and say the things she really wanted to say. You're going to hear how for many of the women on the Council of Boundary Makers, how they said yes to wanting to be part of the Boundary Academy for one reason and how that reason has totally shifted. And my delight <laughs> in hearing why. My initial yes was because I wanted to support you. It wasn't that I was waking in, you know, in the morning saying, God, I've got to learn about boundaries. It was just like, how can I help support, you know, Carly move her work forward in a way? Because I trust you and I trust your work. The why has changed for me. Has it changed for you guys? Because seeing the participants in the program, it's not, I love you, Carly, it's not about you. It's about how can we serve forward our hard-won wisdom with all our scars so that the that young woman, the Latina young woman, I'm sorry, I don't remember her name, but began with an M, I think, so that she isn't in so much pain around how other people are going to feel about her, right? Or so that Amy, the doctor, can give herself permission for a day off. She doesn't have to take everything on because she doesn't have kids, you know, like, like, so love you no longer about you. So I, I feel like our whys are changing. And because of that, that's one of the pillars, I think, Sharon Lynn, that if we can find a way to articulate why this continues to be meaningful to us, we can bring that back to the learning groups. I mean, how cool is that? The idea that the conversation of boundaries does not need to be the Carly show or the show of any one person. But rather, this could be the conversation of us, meaning you and me and every woman everywhere until we are all equally respected, heard, valued, and able to enjoy our career, health, and relationships at the level that we want to. So I know we covered a lot. I shared the behind the scenes of our shampoo cycle of creating. And then some of the nuts and bolts of how we reverse engineer things using that answers first model to make sure we can realistically follow through on the new thing we're beginning. I shared what worked. I shared what we learned from listening to our clients. I shared some curveballs. And then, of course, some things we're going to do differently moving forward. And that sweet, pleasant surprise <laughs> at the end there from our council. So I want to know from you. If you don't have to remember everything you just heard today, what is one standout takeaway about the process of beginning this particular program? Maybe it's something I shared or Charlene, Susie, or Maria who are on this call or Meredith shared out loud, but maybe it's something that bubbled up within you too. Hop on over to iTunes and leave a review 
Let me know what's landing for you so that I can do more of that. This is me listening. Plus, I'd love to give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. And if you want to do one better than that, you can actually send a voice memo to Anitza on our team of what landed for you, and we will thread your voice in to an upcoming episode just like we did these women. That's Anitza, A-N-I-T-Z-A at everybodythrive.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. We would love to have your voice here too. Remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including having the support you need to begin something new. And I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.